Hi, I'm Bon John, and this is Gender Blender. Today I'm talking with Jennifer Reddy, whose impressive resume includes elected trustee for the Vancouver School Board, engaged immigrant youth program creator, and Canadian Race Relations Foundation award recipient. But the best thing about Jennifer is her presence and energy, and I can't wait to share it with you. Here's a sneak preview before we jump in. The beauty of allyship is like there's so many ways in. Like that there's so many ways in if you either ask a person what they need or respond when they're asking you for something. Great. We've got a brown woman who's younger in the room. Check, check, check. Rubber stamp that proposal and push it through. How can we make less on the dollar? Like, what? It's like, right, because it's socialized and it's part of a system that is both socialized in a certain way. I don't think you mentioned what your gender is. Oh, yeah, I guess I don't really have one. Do I? You don't have to. You get to decide. Thank you so much, Bonnie, for inviting me to this process. Uh, my name is Jennifer Reddy. Um, I go by she, her. I'm also comfortable with they as an effort to normalize uh, they. Um, and I come from the traditional unceded territories of the Tanaha people in the East Kootenays um, and have lived in Vancouver on Coast Salish territories for about 10 years now, I guess. Yeah. Um, and so I come to you today as an individual who's worked in education for a really long time, accidentally, um, who's been perfectly typecasted as a person to work with youth and newcomers. And while I resisted that for a long time, I've really come to embrace um, those opportunities I've been given. Um, to both recognize like the benefits of being a part of those communities and a part of those dialogues, but also recognizing how far removed I am in my own experience, as much as people want to attribute me to newcomer populations. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and so as an educator now, I'm also um, working at SFU with you um, in lifelong learning, which I love, and we get to ask all kinds of interesting questions about gender, about intersectionality, equity, diversity, inclusion. Um, indigeneity, what does that mean for settlers? And then uh, as a trustee, getting to bring those conversations to a governance platform. Mm -hmm. Cool, thanks. Yeah. Um, I really liked that you mentioned that you use they um, because you want to normalize that. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, it's been a recent addition to my pronouns, but um, I've been learning a lot about our language in terms of how we speak English in very polarized ways and wanting to always either be he or she, and it, that's it. And I think actually any sentence can make sense with they. And so if we can just get used to using that, it actually, it doesn't matter to me if someone's going to say like she or he, but they is inclusive of everyone for me. Um, so I'm okay with that terminology as well. Awesome, yeah. And in my conversations with people, I've also been trying to express that to other people. I think some people have the misconception that they pronouns are only for queers. Um, yeah, or or I guess gender unknown. Um, well, and it's, I guess it's come out of my own thinking, too. If you tell me that your pronouns are, are she or he, then um, I'm going to use only those pronouns. I'll never take your gender out of 
the pronouns unless you've told me that I can also do that when I feel that gender is not relevant to the conversation. And so in my conversations with people, I try to also tell them, um, you can use they too. And, um, and unless you do, I won't use it because that will indicate to me that like he or she is really important to you, which is cool too. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like asking that question, I think. Yeah. Um, and you won't know until you ask. And so I love that we do ask each other those questions now. And I feel like it's it's okay to ask everyone that question as opposed to people that you think don't really suit what you want them to be yeah. right in that moment. Totally. Yeah. Cool. Um, do you speak other languages? Yeah. Um, English is, well, I'll say my first language because I don't want to fight that battle. But um, <laughs> yeah, my other first language um, is a language that we speak in Fiji, which is like a combination of a whole bunch of languages. Um, but I grew up speaking that language with my family and to communicate with all our family in Fiji too. Cool. Yeah. So just those two, not just, but those two. Yeah. And I'm learning Mandarin on the side, but I'm not very like good in Mandarin. I'm trying. I'm trying. Yeah. Yeah. What's your experience of um, gender in those other languages? Um, there is very much. It's similar to English in that it's quite polarized. I'll say, though, um, if I try to think about some words, like when you uh, talk about people in general, it is always theirs or them or they mm -hmm. um, and we refer to people a lot like that like like for, for children we'll just say like oh they need blah 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 not like automatically assuming children are attributed to like boy children um, so that's kind of cool but that might be the same in English I guess I'd have to like think about some comparative like sentences before I really have a definitive answer but I it's it's very like the culture is also very stratified gender wise yeah yeah yeah, it's interesting. I asked that question because I know that other languages have been are ahead of uh, English in terms of taking those gendered pieces out. And even English did wasn't used to have um, gendered like the the table would be gendered, um, and English has done away with that. But then other languages like French have still used those gendered pronouns for objects. So it's also fascinating how. How many layers and levels gender shows up in? It's deep and it, it takes like so much active thinking constantly because once you start unpacking that, I know a lot of folks are like, well, it's really hard to put they into a sentence when you're used to just saying he or she. But that's also learned, right? And mm -hmm. it's unlearned. Um, but I think, yeah, it's totally within our reach to start doing that uh, more readily. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I don't think you mentioned what your gender is. Oh, yeah. I guess I don't really have one. Do I? You don't have to. You get to decide. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I really like owning being woman because I guess for me, um, a lot of negative um, attributes or identity traits come with being identified as a girl, a lady, a woman. Mm -hmm. And for me, I'm really enjoying like reclaiming what that means for me. Um, and that especially as I get older, I feel like I'm more confident in describing like what my identity is as Jennifer um, as, a, as a person as a woman that like walks this earth that doesn't necessarily suit what boxes may have been made preceding my identity mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's like my identity is creating um, what I describe as woman and I certainly would think that like when I meet other people that that define themselves as women um, we have different versions of that but where I get really nervous is when there's other people that have notions of what a woman is, should be, 
um, should be saying, the way that they should be dressing, acting, speaking, careers, etc. Yeah. That that makes me really nervous because that's not how I identify as woman. Similar to feminism for me, like I I really dislike if someone calls me feminist because I'm not sure how they're defining feminism. Mm. Um, but when I define feminism for myself, I can explain it um, in what it means for me at mm -hmm. this point in time. And I think that hmm. getting to claim your label is really important. Yeah. yeah. That's an interesting point you make about these definitions and, and making a claim ourselves versus having something put on us. Um, how do What do you think is a way that we can do that nicely? Like, does do our claims need then um, like a bit of an explanation or how do... Good question. I think like, so off the top of my head, like two things. One, I think... As, as you kind of said about the pronouns, asking mm -hmm. is like one way to be like, hey, do you identify as a feminist? Or as opposed to being like, oh, like she's like such a strong feminist for our community. I'm like, whoa, I don't know if I represent your kind of right, feminism or yeah. not. And for so long, feminism has been so exclusive of women of color. And so mm. I haven't felt connected to it. But I grew up reading about that revolution and that resistance and feeling so like I belonged there, but then slowly figuring out that that wasn't for me and yeah. that those women weren't necessarily looking out for me. Yeah. And I've seen my mom get like sidelined by feminist processes and, and she's mm -hmm. a woman and defines herself as a woman in her way and is one of the biggest feminists I know, but wouldn't be defined by that in a academic, traditional Western sense. Yeah. And that's, that's too bad because they're missing out on someone great like her who's actually fighting resistance from a patriarchal heteronormative society every day she's one of the toughest self-identifying women feminists i've ever met um, but it also reminds me so in the same way that we can ask people what is it for you as opposed to saying like oh i think you're you're this you're feminist you're a she or they or whatever mm -hmm. um that it reminds me a lot of the same narrative of like where are you from and like mm -hmm. <laughs> why we ask certain people the question and why we don't ask other people the mm -hmm. question and for me this conversation is really interesting because i feel like that's it's um easier to assume based on how somebody looks just like with gender but with culture and race that happens like I mean from square one you're mm -hmm. constantly seen as like where are you really from where are you from from yeah um and did you know the conversation gets so boring after a while when it doesn't go the other way yeah. so I like that you've been like I want to ask other people too and sometimes that conversation in an ethnic sense doesn't go super smoothly because people maybe get a little bit um, nervous about why you're asking them yeah. when they've just asked you the same thing. Yes, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> Do you think that these categories are useful then, given what you've said? Categories like gender or, or feminism or, or, or? Yeah, I do. I do think they're still useful. Um, but because we're so hell-bent on singularity in definitions, that that's what becomes so restrictive. So, for example, like it's really important to ha like be able to have that data on like how many people don't identify with he or she or have they or something else mm -hmm. um, that we don't know. So it's kind of like if you don't ask, you won't know and you won't have multiple categories. Um, and not to say that categories are necessary, but they help us understand social, economic, political, systemic barriers. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that's where, for me, it is very important to be known as, like, I identify myself as a woman. Um, on my census, I'll be, like, definitely clear about what my um, 
identities are because and, and even census has its limitations because of the singularity in defining um, your ethnicity. I think I fall into like Asian. Hmm. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm like, is there like a category for like East Kootenays, <laughs> Fijian <laughs> child of immigrant parent? category (laughs) no right yeah so i think there is really a lot of value in having those definitions that you can define yourself and there is definitely like a point where maybe those become so independent but maybe that's the point too is that that does kind of ripple out into very unique identities which surprise each nobody's the same as anyone else Mm -hmm. so it makes sense yeah totally makes sense it's sort of thinking about them more as guidelines than definitions i guess And I think this is something that you'll probably, I mean, I know you'll pick up on is, um, and that you've said, is that the thing is that all of our identities are all intersecting with one another and overlapping with one another to make a different, I guess, or a unique um, bundle located in one human kind of thing. So it's not um, even like your feminism intersects with your uh, womanness intersects with 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 yes yeah. totally and that those kinds of intersections are a part of like what makes us human but also a part of what holds you back and I think like a lot of times we see like this intersection of identities as like this beautiful like and it is it is beautiful in so many ways when you get to define what that means and when what you identify as doesn't become a barrier to what you're trying to access as a human. And I think that's where, like, I think it's it's very useful to have um, very micro understandings of what's going on, even intergenerationally with mm-hmm. your identity, because that tells you a lot about access to political, economic, social power and capital that can either propel you forward or totally hold you back. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you don't have to look far at all to figure out that that's the case. So I feel like, yeah, we have to use that and dig really deep and understand that if we want to describe and get detailed with categories um, and identities and intersections, that that also means looking at the sides that um, disempower us in the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, c- great point. Yeah. How do you define feminism and being a woman? Yeah, I mean, I went with like being like, yeah, feminism when I was like 12. I was so excited. I read like this amazing book and I wrote this amazing song that I thought it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I was just feeling really like at home. But then I think when I was made aware of my like physical identity um, that I started to question that and the more I learned about our history and like the barring of specific groups of women from voting, Mm -hmm. indigenous women not being seen as human, not being seen as women and then recognizing my privilege as a settler in this land that was able to vote just by being born here. it has so much complexity. So I feel like there's a a type of feminism that I identify with. It's not a capital F. Um, It's a feminism that I think has to be grounded in my own social identity, I guess. So I I can't say that I would have the same feminism as you if if you have feminism or not. Um, But my feminism is like quite specific. And yeah, I, I know a few people who maybe have shared identities of feminism with them too but for me it's like it's so personal and it's highly associated with my social identity Mm -hmm. and then being a woman yeah um in terms of like what does it mean for me Mm -hmm. 
Um, it just means me. Like, I feel like I could just say woman and Jennifer and it just means the same thing. Yeah, I, <laughs> I feel that. I feel like queer and Bonnie means the same thing, too. So. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. Oh, what an invitation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Hmm. You mentioned that um, that categories or uh, the ones that you identify with or that are put on you can also be ways of holding people back. Have you experienced that in terms of gender? Yeah, I'd say like it goes both ways. It's either like you're you're not enough of like the category or you're too much of the category. And I think especially women or people who pass as women, cisgender women, like which what I sometimes think I pass as in Vancouver, I pass as that. But in other cities, they'd be like, oh, I think maybe she's not quite cisgender, you know, like people asking me like different questions. And that's cool um, to ask the question as opposed to making the judgment. But depending on the context um, of how you either fit the category or supersede the category, it never feels like the right touch. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've kind of quit trying. I'm just like, you know what, that's fine. And it's not about what other people are trying to figure out mm -hmm. and I think the more that's kind of like I think personally like I've been more harmful to myself mental health wise when I do try to reach these specific categories of like the way I speak or the way I don't speak or you know like oh you should really think about the words you're using or the way you um, structure your sentences or the earrings that you're wearing they're a little loud or the shirt that you're wearing and I just I think that a lot of that has to do with age with gender with race um, so many like power intersections that that hold you back, and they make you question yourself. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's so harmful for my well being because the more I start to like decide where I should land with my identity in order to be like socially accepted, um, the less I become myself, and like that's so scary to me. And I see a lot of young people that I worked with and continue to work with that inspire me to just be me. And they they don't put categories on me or try to I mean, they'll ask me questions like, you know, what's your family like? Um, do you have a family like uh, kids of your own or, um, you know, where do you live in Vancouver or do you have a car? Like they ask you these kind of like status identity questions. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that's fine. And I love that they don't change their behavior towards me no matter what the answer is, um, which is great. And I, yeah. So I think it's it's complicated because I feel like it took me a long time in my life to come to that place where I'm like you know what it I'll never get there so like why try and that there is not a real place mm -hmm. yeah I've never met anyone that's in that real place genuinely and whatever that real place actually means right like yeah. it's just so frustrating it's like who's Canadian like yeah. that whole diet like and that's where when people would ask me like where am I from from or tell me to go back to my own country I'm like what like, where is that? Like, and, and for like people like our, my ancestries, like indentured laborers, I'm like, so do you want me to like go back to like Fiji? Do you want me to go back to like India? Or like, like, I don't even know the rest of my lineage, to be honest. Yeah. So if I were going to go back, where would I go? But it kind of reminds me of that. Like, it's an unattainable place. Yeah. Yeah. But it's better to just be like, yeah, I'm right where I need to be. Yeah. And I feel like that a lot about politics, actually, where somebody be like, oh, do you have enough experience? Like, I don't know. You know, you've only lived in Vancouver for like a decade and that might not be enough. Or, you know, um, lots of things about like whether or not like, am I Canadian? Do I have the right to run, etc. Um, but that's those motivate me so much to be like, absolutely. I have enough, 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 enough. And I'm going to do this. Yeah. <laughs> or at least try. 
Uh, it's, it's painful that those comments are being lobbed at anyone. Um, how how have you arrived at the place where you're like, no more, no more listen, entertaining those, and no more entertaining the negative self dialogue? Yeah. So like a couple things. A lot of really supportive women and men and they's around me who have been really. Um, just supportive of where you're at in your life when you need to be, as mm. opposed to trying to tell you the shoulds. Right. Um, so I find like, yeah, I've been really lucky to select those communities um, and move away from mm -hmm. the ones that aren't very supportive. And that's like physically, emotionally, um, politically, spiritually, economically moving away from that. But there's so much privilege that I exercise in order to be surrounded by the communities that I want to be. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a lot of work to maintain those communities for them and for also for me. Um, but I think like oh, one of the, yeah, like it's partially creating those communities yourself and knowing how much privilege it takes to have those communities that you just go to because so many people don't have choice of where they mm -hmm. live or work or engage with people. Um, I don't know, but another part of it is also recognizing that that doesn't make it go away and that there's plenty of people that don't have access to the social capital, political, economic capital to move out of those situations, either emotionally, physically or or otherwise. And I think that's where I feel particularly responsible to ensure that I open my space up for those folks mm -hmm. that are still feeling like they're questioning and they're still not feeling like, you know, I don't think I'm surrounded by really supportive people or I'm being challenged on like how I identify so that's that's stuck a lot with me and which gives me a lot of motivation to lob myself into political um, life. And it's not something where I'm like, oh, like I want to be a politician. But I, I really do think that there needs to be access and there needs to be people that show us how to access those spaces, because if it's continually dominated by um, individuals who suit the status quo or who get in and don't want to make space for others or don't see the value in making space for others or belief in merit, heaven mm -hmm. forbid, people still believe in merit, um, then like we'll just recycle those same processes and failures of processes and invented processes that actually have nothing to do with anything and don't create access and don't create better um, procedures and experiences for young people. So I feel like for me, I'm like, yes, like I have to be here. I have to learn how to navigate this and I have to bring other people in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you wrote, that's actually a nice segue to why I reached out to you is because you wrote a really lovely article about um, being a role model for younger um, girls and women, I think, and women, right? Um, how, so I, I think, I know that you're obviously modeling that just by being in the position that you are. Are, are there other things that are on your mind in terms of that? So much. There's so much because there's such... Um, a lack of diversity in many ways and identities uh, in decision-making positions that what weighs a lot on me is that yes I am like one person of color in a situation and there's others um, who may or may not identify in the way that I do and that's really important because for me if I can be open about how I do identify, I want to be a safe person for people to come to, even if they don't, but just to know like, hey, I'm open and however, whatever you're going through right now, like contact me because that's what I've put myself up for mm -hmm. is to hear from you and to listen to you and to understand how I can support you in this system of public education. 
Um, but I think like um, something that's weighing really heavy on me is knowing that I'm not representative of all and how quickly it is to jump to, well, at least we have 50% women elected, but women are not interchangeable with each other. And that's kind of what I wanted to kind of get back to with the identities piece is that you may have like representation of people that identify as women broadly, but that actually have no shared notion of what that identity is, mm. nor of what that what you need as a result of um, um, identifying with that identity. And that's what I find is really dangerous. So like both representing being representative of a woman being representative of a woman of color, a younger, youngish person um, for elected like life speaking, um, that it becomes so dangerous that people would think that you are a representative of X, Y, and Z community. Great. We've got a brown woman who's younger in the room. Check, check, check. Rubber stamp that proposal and push it through. And this is so dangerous because it's easy for me to also take power in situations where it's not mine and it's not mine to simply take. So my actual role is to consult, engage, listen, mm. bottom up, bottom up, bottom up. And it doesn't matter how many identities I end up acquiring over my lifetime that I will never be a singular person that can represent more than myself mm -hmm. in that in that role. And I know that's how our elected bodies work, but I think we forget that just because you you hold certain identities doesn't mean other people identify with the way that you identify with your labels and identities. Mm -hmm. And that might be like hard because I I want to recognize there's something special about access to but not representation of those systems. Can you speak a little bit more about that? Yeah, so um, I can help people gain access to the system to have their individual unique right. voice heard, um, but I can't singularly on my own suggest what's best for young women of color, for example, in the system because I'm I'm not a spokesperson for the community, um, and to to be that would be really dangerous and probably create some significant errors in policy and educational processes that would be really dangerous. So I think even looking at how <laughs> education is structured where adults are making decisions on behalf of that dynamic already is so polarized mm -hmm. and removed from young people. So the onus on us to be responsive and listening and reflective of what young people are telling us is extra heightened because they don't have a voting seat at the table. Right. And they, I'm, I'm even saying like if they had a seat that they would be representative of. So like talk about watching your language. Like absolutely not. Like one individual couldn't possibly represent 48,000 students that we have in the public school system. Yeah. Right. Um, are there ways that gender is um, relevant to the education system in your mind? So much. I mean, yeah, when you think about how curriculum is written, and for me, from an instructional design curriculum perspective, I feel like everything you learn from when you're young, at least in Canada, and in my experience of growing up in BC, is, is very um, uh, gender segregated washrooms how they describe you the kinds of like puberty talk you get mm -hmm. it's all separated right and it it kind of pits us against each other too and it leaves no room in the middle yeah there's no room in the middle you have to choose a side you have to choose a washroom etc and more often you're assigned a side 
Absolutely. Yeah, you don't get to choose. There's actually no choice Absolutely. there. Absolutely. <laughs> You're totally right. Yeah. And actually that happens even more so. Um, I, I hear from some people who are like people of color who are older now who are like, they thought I was ESL just because like my parents were immigrants. And so yeah. I'm listening to these stories thinking like, oh no, like you may you may be multilingual, um, but you may not be ESL. And they're like, oh yeah, I was in ESL till you know, grade five. And in some cases, or like until they were five rather, um, in some cases um, it works for people. And in some cases it, it didn't at all um, because they like put them in a certain track or category, right? But yeah, I think for me, it was really hard to unsee that until I met individuals who were asking those questions. But I would hope that in the same way, so with gender, I felt like that is a conversation all of us can have, whereas like with race, it's a conversation that some of us can have. And not to say like race doesn't affect everyone, but it mm -hmm. affects us so differently. Um, and maybe I'm making an assumption about the, the lengths of the conversation on gender, and maybe it shouldn't be allowed for like everyone, right? That certain people should have authority on the subject. And maybe me taking they as normalizing is also an exercise of power that I shouldn't have in the first place, right? Um, but I think when I think about um, the race lens, I get really uncomfortable when people try to tell me about um, ethnicity or identity or multiculturalism or diversity, or for example, like diversity is representative of all your identities. And and not being able to understand what, what it means to be a racialized person and recognizing the disempowering aspects of having identities placed on you mm -hmm. and not being able to take identities off. Mm -hmm. And that's ultimately like the piece of that, that gender puzzle too, I think, where it's like, you don't choose, you're just given mm -hmm. a side. And that happens a lot being racialized because I go home brown, I go to work brown, you know, I'm at parties brown, I go to the school board brown, I go to SFU brown and they're not identities that I could like, um, it's not an identity that I can like change um, in any way, shape or form. And arguably that could be with any identity. You feel like you can't take it off. Like you always have it on, right? But some I feel like I can hide on certain days. Like I could maybe hide that I'm a woman by like wearing like a big toque or something or hiding like not wearing earrings and like suppressing my identity to get by. Mm -hmm. But I can't do that with my skin unless I just don't leave my house, which sometimes I do. Mm -hmm. For that reason? Um, no, okay. no, I've never like hidden. I mean, like maybe as a kid I hid, but like once or twice, but uh, my parents are always like, you have to get back out there. <laughs> I like that. Hard love. Yeah. Um, how do you, do you have ideas about how, what a better, better approach would be to the gender segregation in schools and yeah. gender segregation in terms of curriculum, washrooms, all of that thing yeah I'm really actually super pleased to see how pervasive these conversations are becoming mm -hmm. in a really good way like very young people are starting to ask these questions elementary school um, having soji leads like sexual orientation gender identity leads at schools out in screens is like trying to cover the entire province with workshops on gender identity and sexual orientation um, and and life for young people as it's changing now as we gain I think more knowledge and language to talk about these things in a way that explicitly helps people understand it's actually to build safety for young people all young people mm -hmm. it's not about like expressing your sexual identity at a young age and a lot of ways that it's being misunderstood I feel like it's just a way to um, actually bring people in and think about um, how you can make a safe place for everyone by having those conversations more 
readily, readily mm-hmm. as opposed to just in a gay straight alliance, which we didn't even have like in my high school growing up. But I learned about this in the big city um, that they had these clubs. And I thought that's so cool. Um, and that there's a lot of bias at the time that if you're going to join a club like that, that you must be uh, queer or gay yourself as opposed to the straight alliance part and that allyship piece was really missing but I feel like now what I see at least in Vancouver is a a public approach to identifying the ally part Mm -hmm. that like this is everyone's job and I'd love to see that happen with race and racism and anti-blackness and Islamophobia Mm -hmm. like and I feel like a lot of the the work we do on Soji actually borrows from those movements of, of racialized people around the world mm. and have been really effective because we're trying to talk about allyship and how do you be an ally um, and how do you center those conversations from the beginning so that your, even your infrastructure reflects a more inclusive environment or your curriculum mm-hmm. um, or your educators are using language that's more inclusive. Can you talk about some ways to be an ally? Yeah, I guess the main thing that was told to me, which is awesome, it was this resource um, that a friend of mine shared with me that was built by young Indigenous youth, and it's so great. They're like, ally is a term that is given by someone else to someone else. You don't get to call yourself an ally. (laughs) So I thought, all right, if there's one thing I can remember, it's that. Um, So I feel like, yes, like I can only be an ally if someone calls me an ally and that I'm acting in such a way that somebody would feel compelled to label me as their ally. Um, So for me, when I have felt like I've had an ally in someone, it's folks who speak up when it's not popular. Um, Mm. Running in the election, many people were like, oh no, I can't. My job doesn't allow me to be partisan. I'm not partisan. I'm not comfortable with politics, etc. And that was so hard for me because I get that, but I also can't take off what's happening like I I just feel exhausted sometimes and not to suggest that like those conversations are like they need to be had but I can't always be the one having them I need like Bonnie to have that conversation with Bonnie's community and I need Jennifer to have that conversation with Jennifer's community um and that there's there's limits Mm -hmm. to how much we can ask people to like reconsider and like but what about this and what about that and that's that's like free labor and that's a luxury right to have people in your life that are willing to explain um, why this is important and what a privilege it is to walk away from those conversations and to never have to face it again so kind of like the gender identity conversation it's really easy to just get back into the polarized world uh, cisgender heteronormative colonial ways of you know, accessing power and flinging power around to get what you want and get what you need. Mm -hmm. Um, And that intersects with race pretty quickly. Um, And you recognize, like, I I can, like, sound as sort of, uh, like, you can code switch, right? Like, you can, like, be who you need to be in a certain situation, but there's certain codes you can't turn off. Mm -hmm. It occurred to me here to ask... Um, and I and I'm I don't know how you'll go about answering this. I don't know how I would answer it. But how can men and queers and non-binary folk be an ally to you as a woman? Oh yeah, I have a great example. Um, so going back to the theme of like you can only be an ally if someone calls you an ally. Um, I there's a very close person in my life who identifies as male, who 
is not that engaged in a lot of these kinds of conversations on a regular basis, cisgender, hetero, white, etc. Um, but through this process of recognizing um, the systemic barriers that are taking place, for example, in political participation, it takes money, it takes time to run. Um, and once you're in, if you get in, um, you're exhausted. As soon as you start, you're exhausted. Mm -hmm. um, and once you're there, you're going to face so many things that you can never plan, prepare, or train for. And because of that, I found like I lean on this individual so much. And to have somebody that can understand what that is and can do the tasks like hot breakfast, lunch, granola bars, pick you up, make you a Negroni so that when you arrive home, you've got that waiting for you. <laughs> Alcoholism. Um, <laughs> you know, it's got a lot of, um, there's so much strength in that. And I can't underestimate how lucky and privileged it is to have access to that kind of power because I'm in a, in a hetero relationship and I've subscribed to so much power in that my partner's white white passing right so it's just it's fascinating to see like how much of an ally he can be if he wants to be and he is but also how quickly um you can actually like shirk that responsibility because it's voluntary yeah. Like allyship is voluntary. Yeah. And I think that's like the biggest takeaway for me. I have plenty of folks who, who, you know, for a variety of reasons and their own barriers um, can't participate um, to varying degrees. So I think that, yeah, that's like one example that stuck out for me a lot. Or like thinking literacy has to be like a way that you become an ally. But that's not true. Like I have plenty of individuals in my life who aren't literate in English who have been some of the strongest allies standing beside me. Um, even little things, right? Like they don't have to be doing the work with you, but cushioning the, the, the world from you when you're trying to do that work is like the most important thing. Yeah, I really loved that you mentioned like making breakfast. That's that can be an act of allyship. I watched the Berkeley Marathon, Berkeley Marathon um, documentary. Have you seen it? Anyway, um, after watching that, I had the same kind of revelation where I was like, "Oh, all of the support team of a marathon runner or an ultra runner." are doing all of this like practical labor in order to support this runner to run this long distance and it's kind of the same uh, same concept um that yeah it, it's not there's no one way to support somebody it can be financially or by speaking up for them or making space for them or making their breakfast or mending their cut or whatever um so i really liked that you mentioned that that's an awesome definition yeah it's <laughs> quite broad but i guess the beauty of allyship is like there's so many ways in like that there's so many ways in if you either ask a person what they need or respond when they're asking you for something um and that's the biggest thing like I find like people in distress don't ask or they don't reach out um, and that's like an important place to like check in with people that you haven't heard from for a while or that mm -hmm. you know or like um, just kind of been off the radar or doing something that seems like they're really busy but you know it's like hey how's it going and I find that with young people that I'm working with like that's some of the best strategies I can exercise myself are ones that kind of I've benefited from which is people checking in to see like how I'm doing and making sure like hey do you want to like meet for lunch do you want to eat like those kinds of things mm -hmm. right like that 
can help a person just feel like they're cared for, like nurtured, so that they can do that work. Because, mm-hmm. like, yeah, not every one of my friends or family members is like a policy nerd, and that's great because we would probably drive each other <laughs> up the wall. But I'm really pleased that at least we we know when to have those conversations and we know when to just sit down and eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So it's almost like. Um, the basic definition of ally is it's given to you. It's a it's a title that's given to you, um, and it's uh, there's an act of recognition that something is hard and uh, an offer of help. Yeah, so, you yeah. totally summarized it. I think, <laughs> but then I would totally, if I could remember that resource that these young women had made, it was so powerful, and it just yeah, there, there was a lot of really good, um, almost like a bookmark version of like what it is. So I'll share that with you, just yeah. so you can check it out because they and defined it for themselves. We can put it in the show notes. Okay. Yeah. <gasps> that would be so cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, I so I think. When you were talking, and the reason why I asked the question, how can people be an ally to you as a woman, is because I think around gender conversations, there's a tendency to think that um, everything is okay for cisgendered people, and it's only the queers that need the allies. Um, and I think that's true of any um, any category. Like We definitely do have hierarchies of power, Um, But I think that power shows up differently in different spaces and there are different parts of our identities that are um, or our identities make some things harder for us and some things not as hard and some identities have a higher concentration of the hard things, but every identity has some things that don't go so well so I want to have that conversation with people mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. not only in how can I be an ally to queer people or you know what I mean like that it only goes towards the the non-normative category yeah somehow. or like the the most yeah the non-normative or the most oppressed or that kind of thing yeah so are there ways that um, are there other ways that people can be an ally to you as a woman? And can you, are there ways, like you referenced your partner, um, are there ways even in that relationship that you are mutually allies to each other in terms of gender? Yeah, I'm definitely a taker, I think, in general. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had advice going the other way. Um, no, but I think um, appreciating people and telling them how much it helps is one of the things and and I'm not sure because um, but they keep coming back so I figure like you know with all my friends who have and and family members and peers and colleagues who have reached out and I'm shocked sometimes to see how many people reach out like wow and then I'll want to do something big to thank them like let's get together and eat I'm gonna make all these things and let me show you how much this helped me so one of the things I did um, which was pretty (laughs) it was really um, I, I don't know what the word is, goofy, um, uh, in the fall is uh, after the election, I had made like all these like really special toasts of like different t- types of toasts that I really like, um, like anchovies on toast or like uh, pumpkin seed butter um, with like mm. a slice of Parmesan. <laughs> yeah. And there's so many good toasts and like balsamic vinegar, like the thick one, you know, um, just to say thank you and to bring everyone together. And I had written these little like notes of like things that I remembered people had done for me throughout some really tough times over the last several months that maybe they forgot. But one was like a friend had reposted my stuff 
And it was just, it was huge because no one was reposting this message. And I was like, God, it's really important. Somebody reposted it, but I didn't want to ask because it just felt forced. Yeah. But they did. Uh, not because of I, me asking, because I didn't, but because <laughs> they wanted to. Um, and I just thought that felt really important for me to thank them in that way and to let them know that it matters. And those little tiny things are noticed. So I feel like as an individual who is cisgender, um, or, or at least self-identifies as cisgender, um, had a road that it, it's really important to recognize when you've been helped by somebody or someone's been an ally to you um but also like how those cat even that language is so exclusive and i think what i've noticed from working with young people from all over the world is that um sometimes they don't feel like they're a part of it because they don't have that language and so i guess like it's important for me to consider like how a person would define those features of allyship without maybe calling it allyship for themselves mm. um, and like cisgender normative um, status in Canada that can like bar you from participating or getting the difference between having a lunch card and not having a lunch card and having friends with the same school or um, like you have to stand in different lineups for lunch and you can't eat together for mm. example right there's mm -hmm. like really awkward situations that young people are put in because of these categories that sometimes you can't convey or talk about but that do divide you and bring you together in different ways but um, that's something I want to be really mindful of is like how these conversations can be so exclusive and so limited to fluent English speakers as well as western individuals who know what queer means or know what cisgender means or know what patriarchy means and mm -hmm. and could very well be excluded by that exact conversation when, when it might actually be about them and inclusive for them in theory, but in practice, it's like, what the hell are you guys talking about? I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, I I really appreciate that you brought that up. Thank you, because um, it's so true. Our, our language and our frameworks are so specific to individual cultures, and it's really hard to map them onto each other. And I'm thinking... Um, when I was in uh, Malawi, um, working in, uh, I can't say the word, um, how do I say that? Working in a non-profit um, environment through my school, oh, yeah. a co-op kind of thing. I'm avoiding saying the D word, which I detest because it's um, absurd to think that some yes. places are the D word and some places are not the D word. Good point. Yeah, <laughs> Language totally. hurts. But anyway, um, while I was there, the UK decided to cut uh, aid to countries that criminalize homosexuality. And um, that um, I was there at the time as a closeted queer. And um, my initial reaction was okay this could be good um and then immediately within 24 hours was oh my god this is really 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 bad um because there ended up being a huge backlash um against the western imposition of what was perceived to be gay and gay rights um and it it completely wiped out the local uh, queer movements that had been happening um, and it was mapping a gay um, a western gay concept of the gay identity onto 
cultures where that didn't necessarily exist, but things that were similar existed. Um, so, like, for example, um, um, there's a... Uh, I'm struggling because I hate when I can't recall the actual names of, of groups of people, but I think it's the Basotho um, tribe in South Africa. They have a concept of... Um, a hetero relationship where two if two men are together two cis men are together but one assumes the woman duties and the other assumes the man duties then they're considered to be uh, a hetero couple cool yeah and so but those are the kinds of things those are the those are the kinds of people that ended up getting attacked and that's the kind of um, um, erasure that happened when the western like when you when the west when the uk cut aid it was kind of like who these people are responsible for the cutting of aid and whereas it wasn't a problem before it became a problem mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah <gasps> yeah so even when we're talking and i think that that happens all the time we that's how we started off this conversation like even when we talk about women what women means to you versus what it means to somebody else it doesn't always map on together but on together properly but we kind of make that assumption and it can be really dangerous mm-hmm, totally yeah. it can be really dangerous that's like the the main point for sure like the homogeneity of trying to like find the singular version of what something is yeah and actually and I just caught myself too of like as we're talking like I like to define women as how I define it but I still would just say I'm cisgender just for like a shortcut yeah but I'm not sure if cisgender as a term actually has room for the way that I identify as a woman I don't think it does um but I guess it's just easier to understand in certain contexts that like yeah I'm cisgender whatever like I'll just be whatever you want me to be um, at this moment and <laughs> well what does that mean to you where's the, what's the the room that's not being I'm not for? sure I guess like I I don't know and that's a question I would ask you I think like what what is it I mean and this is kind of this like world of terms that either you can subscribe to and use or you can't but for me when you had asked at the beginning like what gender do you define yourself as I would first say woman in the way that I define it but then I think that cisgender has room for the way I identified with as a woman, but I'm not sure. Yeah. So I also get horrified when having to come up with the definitions too, as does everybody. Um, but essentially that your gender identity matches your uh, sex organs. Right. And I'm like, but wouldn't that be <laughs> up to me to decide? If yeah. it's all socialized anyways. Yes, totally. <laughs> so, yeah, so I am going to reclaim cisgender woman. That's like my <laughs> identity. <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of, I don't know. I, I think it's funny. I reach a point with everyone in these conversations where we get, we start to get granular and then we're like, what is going on here anyway? Like, does it matter that my sex organs <laughs> match my gender identity? And yeah. like, what does it even mean that they match? You know, like they could be. Why does um, woman have to match with a vagina? Yes, you know, totally. Like, and that is like the link that we're taught to make. Yeah, and yes, and, and if we want to uncouple that, then we got to get rid of maybe that whole philosophy altogether. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's a cool conversation. I feel like it gives me a lot of like space 
to just be and I, I love that so much and I feel so lucky that we have people like you who in my life in my community that are actually asking those questions and making space to have those mistakes in conversations and to have the corrections in conversations <laughs> and to ask tough ones and to recognize where like we all need to learn mm-hmm. because I guess that's like ultimately what it is all about is like at least having safe places to talk about this and mm-hmm. And to say that it's okay to continue asking questions and invite new people into the conversation, even people that have the perception of, like, getting on with the normies. Like, that might not be the case for them, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. You don't know what you don't know. Definitely. Um, I um, want to know if how you would identif- um, define gender. And I know that we've talked about definitions being tricky but if you had to take a stab at it I feel like it's so uh, socialized and so personal Mm -hmm. Um, so it has a lot to do with just personal identity for me Um, and I mean I've only gotten to the place of it of understanding it being socialized from access to higher education Mm -hmm. myself like I didn't learn that in K-12 necessarily um, but I got to study that and unpack it in a safe constructive environment where questions were like open and welcomed Um, And we used global examples um, of what that means. So I think for me, yeah, I I really appreciate the analysis from a socialized lens because it really helps you unpack like why you make certain career choices, why you wouldn't make certain career choices or how can we make less on the dollar? Like what? (laughs) It's like, right, because it's socialized and it's part of a system that is both socialized in a certain way um, and that upholds all of those nuances um, and barriers in place for a reason. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I, I really enjoy that because I feel like it helps me understand why certain things are a certain way and then once you can understand it you can start to unpack it and tinker with it and change it and I feel like ultimately I'm like that's like the biggest access to power we could have is recognizing how it's all built so like if we know it's built then we know we can we can build on it some more we can dismantle it we can build it over here and forget about this old one like there's lots of ways to reconfigure it um, which I like. So I'm like, oh, yeah, right. We just made it. Yeah. So, of course, we can unmake it. Yeah. And we can remake it every day. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Totally we can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any other reflections on gender? Mm, I just feel like... Not to let it... Um, not to let gender... Um, be your only defining characteristic and I think that's like a been a big thing for me um, just like race identity or age um, or status in Canada I just feel like any single identity or <clears throat> kind of um, any yeah um, what is the word not single identity but like oversimplifying a person's identity to only one attribute is so dangerous and I found myself being dangerously categorized and myself dangerously categorizing other people so I feel like just keep like the question start at gender and end somewhere else mm-hmm. <laughs> would be great yeah 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 cool um thanks this has been really great yeah likewise yeah. it's so cool to be a part of this world for you yeah <laughs> thank it's you just amazing what you're doing and I'm like really looking forward to hearing like what else like kind of comes of all this um and how I can like share the information and the outcomes of all these conversations thanks but I hope that lots of people young people old people everyone gets a chance to hear this maybe it'll be translated yeah there's an know. idea who all knows over the world. I'll get some massive grant to, uh, to yeah, do that why not BPL <laughs> yeah. should fund it totally <laughs>
<laughs> no, I've really appreciated. I really appreciate that you're you're um, that you're willing to have the conversation without a fixed definition, and um, that's important. And and that's honestly where I am too. So it's been a pleasure talking to you. Cool. You too. Um, are there places where you would like people people can find out more information about you? I know you're in the public eye. So um, do you have a website? Do you have yeah, like I just have a website on Nation Builder. It's like jenniferreddy.nationbuilder.com. Um, so if you're not into social media, that's an, an easy place to go. But if you are into social media, I've got like a Twitter handle, which is at Ready for Change. That's R E D D Y, like my last name, for change. Um, so R E D D Y F O R C H A N G E. And then on Facebook, um, Jennifer Reddy School Board Trustee. So you can find me there great yeah thanks, thanks so much thank you bonnie <laughs> i love this day i'd love to hear your feedback how did you find out about the show did the perspective of a particular guest resonate or rub you the wrong way do you have questions about some of the terms and concepts that have come up? Are you interested in being a guest? Whatever it is, I'd love to hear from you. I'm currently out for a very long walk, walking over 5,000 kilometers from Vancouver, BC to the Kawartha's in Ontario. But I hope to drop into libraries along the way to chip away at launching a website for the podcast and maybe even record interviews along the way. For now, you can connect with me via my Instagram at Bonbury, B-O-N-N-B-U-R-Y, or via the contact form on my personal blog, bonvoyages.ca. That's B-O-N-N-B-O-Y-A-G-E-S dot C-A. Thanks for joining me on this journey. If you like what you hear, tell your friends or rate the podcast. With gratitude, I'm Bon John, and this is Gender Blender. This podcast was produced and recorded by me, Bon John, on the unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh First Nations. Come out, come out, my people, where are you? Come out, come out, come out.